And it wasn't until the, the new coach came along and said, Sean, do you want to be an All Black again? And I said, Laurie, I'd love to be an All Black again. And he said, well, you're probably not going to be. He said, firstly, you're too fat, secondly, you're too slow, and thirdly, you're arrogant. And the thing that hurt me most of all, he said, and finally, you've lost the respect of the jersey. I'm Frances Keane, your host and founder of Personally Speaking and the B-Side podcast. As a naturally curious person, what I've observed is that often the backstory, what I think of as the B-Side, is where the hidden gems really exist. In this podcast series, we get the opportunity to hear from some thought leaders and discover what drives ordinary people to achieve extraordinary things. I am delighted to have Sean Fitzpatrick, former captain of the All Blacks, join me today. Sean is widely regarded as one of the best players ever in world rugby. He became captain of the All Blacks in 1992, which he remained until his final test game in 1997. In demand as a speaker on leadership and high-performing teams, Sean is also a popular rugby commentator and a successful businessman. So welcome, Sean Thank you very much for joining us today for the B-Side. Thank you, Francis. Nice to have a, another voice in the house other than my, my daughters and my wife. I know, I know. We've all got very used to each other over the last few weeks, well, months at this stage. And one of the things I wanted to talk to you about first, Sean, was actually the void made by the lack of sporting activities uh, during this time. I think at a much bigger level than just a team or just a supporter, I think in society as a whole, we're really missing that gap. And I, I know you and I have worked together for conferences where you speak on both leadership and team, but I think sport is much bigger than that. Do you agree with that? Yes, I think so. It's, maybe we could just talk, talk about rugby, my sport. You know, it's been 25 years we've been with the professional game and we have never had an opportunity to actually sit back and assess what we're doing. And, and I've really enjoyed and I'm really optimistic about the future of, of sport in general and, and predominantly rugby union because I think there's going to be many opportunities that are going to come out of you know, post-COVID sport. And people, when they don't have it, they all of a sudden want it. And I think that's been, you know, maybe, maybe we've taken sport for granted, and maybe it hasn't been run as well as it should have been. You know, the financial decisions that were made in the last 25 years of, of rugby union, uh, some of them haven't been great, and, and COVID has exposed those weaknesses. So I think in general, I think most people have sat back and, and thought, how can we make sport better? How can we make the competitions better? And, and Rugby Union has some amazing products, you know, whether it be the, the British and Irish Lions, be the All Blacks, Ireland, Wales, Scotland, England. And it's got some great competitions, you know, the Six Nations, all those things that, that we just have maybe been taken for granted, but it's now given us an opportunity to sit back and, and reflect and try, and try and make them better. And I, I don't know if you saw the weekend just... The, the, the super rugby that was on in New Zealand uh, with capacity crowds. And, you know, it was traditional tribalism, big brother against little brother, easy competition to understand, and capacity crowds and a, and a massive worldwide TV audience, which is, which is 
is where most of the revenue will be will come from. Yeah, but that crowd, uh, having those supporters is so important to the team live, isn't it? Close stadiums. Yeah, close yeah. stadiums, which I can imagine as a team member, as a player, that would be very difficult. Yeah, I don't, I don't, it's a bit funny watching it, isn't it? I watched some of those, uh, the Bundesliga, uh, they had cardboard cutouts in the, in the stadium and you know, in Australia for the rugby league. But I think, you know, I just think it just showed how, how important sport is to people, um, the excitement that it brings. You know, at Lorius, we talk about sport uniting people. And and that yeah. definitely does that with, without question. And we've got you know we've got the Premier League starting tomorrow here in the UK. You know your own team, the All Blacks. I mean, New Zealand is united by the All Blacks, right? I mean, it's part of the DNA, I think, over there. So I want to go back a little bit, Sean. Just a couple of years. Um, I know that. Uh, I believe that uh, rugby was always part of your family. I think your dad was a rugby player yes. as well. And then from a very young age, you were interested in it. But you, it wasn't until you were 16 or 17 that you started to take it seriously. And I'm just really wondering for uh, listeners or anyone, was there an aha moment for Sean? Was, what influenced you? Was it recognition or did you just grow up overnight? What, what was the changing? <laughs> I still wonder if I've grown up yet, Francis. So my, my, my children, <laughs> my children keep on telling me to grow up, Dad. Uh, but <laughs> I don't really know. I think it was even later than that, Francis. I, I was probably 20 years old uh, or 19 when I got on the my first sort of major team was the New Zealand under-21s. And and I still didn't even then think I was, was good enough to, to be in that team. And it wasn't really until I... You know, started playing for the university club, and then and then finally got picked for Auckland. That you know, I sort of realised that potentially I, I could be an All Black. And but that, like anything, uh, Francis, it took me a few years to realise that um, to be an All Black, it, it took a lot of effort and a lot of you know a lot of time training, which I I really wasn't prepared to do because I'd enjoyed my my drinking and having a good time with my mates. And it wasn't really until John Hart, who was uh, the then Auckland coach, he sort of identified me at a young age, gave me an opportunity, then basically told me to go away because I wasn't good enough. I couldn't throw the ball in properly. I was giving away too many penalties. And he said, basically, until, until you show me that you're committed and want to get better, I'm not going to pick you. And it was literally from 1983 for three years. He didn't go anywhere near me, um, so I had to had to go away. And my wife and I, or <laughs> well, my girlfriend and I, in those days, uh, you know, we used to go to the beach, and everywhere we went, I took a rugby ball, and she would catch, and I would, I would practice my line out throw, and she knew exactly what I needed to do in terms of telling me, "No, you're doing this, you're doing that." Uh, so that, you know, that was probably the biggest lesson I had. Uh, and it was a harsh lesson, lesson too, to, to be put out in the cold for three years. But it made me realise that, uh, that, you know, it's like in, like in, in business or in life in general, Francis, you know, the most successful people, uh, there's, there's two sort of th 
two key messages, I suppose, that I, I try and live by, and definitely when I was in All Black, uh, and I've just watched Michael Jordan, The Last Dance, definitely in his mm, life. Uh, I'm yeah. watching Pep Guardiola at the moment and, and his journey. There's two, two key messages, and, and, and one is preparation. Best prepared people in the world, they win. And it's the same in business. When you think of all the successful people, they all prepare really well. And But unfortunately, with that degree of preparation and wanting to be the best you can, uh, comes the second thing, which is sacrifice. And, and I look at my days of being an All Black, and I was an All Black for 12 years, and people used to say to me when I retired, do you miss it? I said, no, I don't miss it. I had 12 of the most amazing years of my life playing for the greatest sporting team ever, and that was that, because I had to give everything. I had to, to sacrifice everything to be in that team. And then to finish that, I, you know, I loved, I loved being a fan now, not having that pressure of that day in, day out sacrifice to, to be, you know, an All Black. And so when you started playing seriously, you're saying it was 19, you really got into the game. Was the All Blacks journey the ultimate goal? Was that what you were always well, going to? I suppose so. I suppose in New Zealand you grow up, you know, we, we all dream. We, we say every man and boy will change places with you tomorrow. And, you know, yeah, it's, sure, it's a dream. Um, From hearing you speak, I love the way you talk about the feeling of wearing that All Blacks jersey and how it is always with you. So even when yeah. you do retire, you're always an All Black. Yeah. The sense of purpose of being part of that brand. Yeah, that's, you know, once an All Black, always an All Black. And yeah, we're very, very proud of our, our brand, our, our heritage, our legacy, um, what it means to New Zealanders. And, you know, there's a lot of people gone before us. I was, I was All Black number 871. Um, so there's, there's, been plenty of great All Blacks that have gone before us, but even when I look back on my career of those 12 years, there's almost two, two parts to it, the first six years and then the second, second six years when I was captain. And, and I look back at that captaincy and the first six years we were very good, we won the World Cup, uh, no one could touch us, and then, and then we almost took our position for granted. And it wasn't until exactly like what we've experienced in the last three months. When something's taken away from you, you're desperate to get it back. And that's what happened to me. I you know, literally got thrown out of the All Blacks. Uh, we lost the World Cup, taken our position for granted, got fat and lazy, I did. And it wasn't until the, the new coach came along and said, Sean, do you want to be an All Black again? And I said, Laurie, I'd love to be an All Black again. And he said, well, you're probably not going to be. He said, firstly, you're too fat, secondly, you're too slow, and thirdly, you're arrogant. And the thing that hurt me most of all, he said, and finally, you've lost the respect of the jersey. And with that, I couldn't believe it. I thought, no, no way. I haven't, but that was the perception. And I went away and, and took everything back to the bare boards, you know, made the ultimate sacrifice. And luckily, I, I was given an opportunity, and, and I took that opportunity. But I became fitter, faster, stronger than I'd ever been, uh, more dedicated, uh, becoming captain that made me analyse the game more than I'd ever done. And I think I became ultimately a better person, Francis. And that's, you know, one of our sayings in the All Blacks is, you know, good people make great All Blacks. And I don't think, you know, 
anything is better than having a, a group of people who, who you respect, um, who are good people. And as, as you get older, as I'm finding now, you tend to have less and less friends, Francis. Why? Because you want to be surrounded in good people. So there's a real common theme um, coming across between a lot of people I'm speaking to at the moment, whether it's in technology or leadership or sport. But actually, the most important thing is that relationships, respect, a common purpose. And it seems to be something that I think maybe companies have missed out on over the last few years. And hopefully, maybe we will recalibrate about how we go about business in the future and bring back that sense of purpose because it's something I'm hearing repeatedly all the time. Um, and do you see that, Sean, when you go into organizations? You know, the, the organizations who bring you in are obviously interested in learning how the All Blacks mm. team worked. A lot of businesses I go into, they, they have their, their visions and their mission and you know, all those sort of things that are so important to their business. And then they go and hire people who ultimately are not, are not the right people for that job. And I, and I always say to them that that's not the person you employed's fault who hasn't, hasn't got the right values for your organisation. That's your fault for employing them because you've selected the wrong person. And, you know, I look at the All Blacks now and they, they pick the best people, maybe not the best rugby players, but they pick the best people, they then turn them into great All Blacks. And I think that's where we get mixed up a bit in, in hiring people. Um, we don't, we pick, we pick the position rather than the person. That's very which, interesting, yeah. Which ultimately uh, is not their fault, and ultimately it's not good for your business. And, you know, when you think about if you work for Pepsi, and and and, the, and then you go and work for Coca-Cola. You're not going to change as a person, even though they've got different mission statements and and values. Those two organisations, you're not going to change as a person. Hey, that's you know that's no. that's my thinking. So you need to make sure you employ, you know, the right people. You know, in the All Blacks today, I could probably name half of the team that four or five years ago, I never thought would be all blacks. So the right set of values and attitudes is yeah. equally as important as to how talented exactly. you are. And actually what you're saying there is that you can learn, you can learn a lot of the skills you need if you have the right set of values for the team you're joining. Exactly. Because we talk about, we also talk about, about givens, you know, honesty, integrity, respect, uh, humility, you know, everyone goes, oh, that's amazing. Those, those, are, those are traits of the All Blacks. I'm like, no, it's not. Those are the traits of good people. That should be a given, not something that you have to work on, you know. I agree. And at the same time, we, we assume it should be a given, but I think actually we lost that over the last 10 or 15 years with the rush of technology and the speed you're all going. Because it is coming up a lot in conversation now, I think it is something that people feel they've been missing. If we talk about all these things that have changed with, with COVID you know, in terms of conversation, but the one thing I have loved is connecting with people. 
that I hadn't spoken to um, for maybe years. Uh, and just out of the out of the blue, I, I, when it first started, I made a point of of every day, I rang three different people that I hadn't spoken to for you know for, for quite a while, and it was absolutely brilliant, Francis, just to, to talk to people because you knew you knew they weren't going to be busy, um, and just to have five, ten, fifteen, twenty minutes um, was was brilliant. And long, long may that continue. It's exactly what you said. It's a, it's it's a new norm, or it's you know people picking up the phone rather than sending emails, uh, FaceTiming people. I think Zoom is is amazing in terms of being able to look into people's eyes when you're you know all our our board meetings now we do them on Zoom rather than dialing in, just so we can see people. Turn your screens on. You know, spend time time well spent. So Zoom is great and and FaceTime, and it is wonderful. The, tech, the technology actually was kind of ready for us. We're also catching up, but we did have that technology there so we can stay connected. But it doesn't really replace the visceral face-to-face in-person experience. And just I was thinking about that and, and sort of the team sport. I mean, you can't practice rugby on Zoom. You know, you, you, that is all about getting together as a team. And, you know, if you think about the work we do together, you know, companies are out there, leaders are out there trying to keep their teams connected. Mm-hmm. So are the All Blacks doing anything at the moment to stay connected during this time? Or how do you feel the people, what are the fundamentals well, of keeping people connected? Well, we're lucky in New Zealand uh, that, uh, you know, obviously we, we're, they're back training. It's, you know, business is normal. But I, I, I tend to disagree with you, Francis. I think people have, have been better connected, although we haven't had face-to-face meetings. I, I think people, uh, a lot of these will be the new norm in terms of the way business is done. You know, people aren't going to be jumping on planes and, and flying around Europe or flying around the world to go to a one-hour meeting or a two-hour meeting or a five-hour meeting. Uh, and... Yeah, I agree. And I think think talking to people rather than sending emails, uh, I agree with you in terms of looking into people's eyes, but you can you can almost do that on Zoom or or FaceTime. Um, But I think I think a lot of these practices in terms of working from home uh, is going to is going to change, and people are going to say, "Look, I can't I can't afford to have this office." You know, 365 days a year. I can afford to have it for 100 days a year. And, I, yeah, yeah I I think th- things are going to change. And then you talk about, you know, I, I, what I've also loved is, is spending time with my children. We hear a lot about teams and the importance of that cohesiveness mm-hmm. and that understanding that team members have for each other builds stronger teams. I think even with my own team, in personally speaking, that I really look forward to being able to meet them again and yes. have a glass of wine mm-hmm. with them or, or chat to them. And I, and I do think the way forward is definitely going to be a blend of technology and face-to-face for yeah. sure. Yeah, that's going to be, you know, especially in this part of the world, that's going to be, you know, we're in for some serious changes in terms of the way we train, the way we watch sport. Um, but I, I agree. I, of course, I, I agree in terms of the team. It's, you know, those, you know, you finish a meeting and then, you know, how often do we go outside and have a little chat around the water cooler or, uh, you know, over, over a wine or a beer? Um, 
that really sort of adds value in terms of what you're, you're trying to achieve in your business. Uh, but we are finding other ways. We have adapted very quickly. We have a pub night on Friday night in our gazebo, <laughs> which has turned into our local pub. <laughs> so we, we have a Zoom with about 10 of us you know, having, a, having a, a beer and a virtual cheers. Yeah. My husband has started drinking now at four or five o'clock on a Friday evening, which he never used to do. And he, does, he drinks at his team um, over Zoom uh, on a Friday evening. So there are things like that that have happened, which, which have been great. Who has been your greatest influence in life? What influence is it? Is it places? Is it people? Is it something you read? I mean... You know, my formative years, you'd say it was your parents, my parents, who who obviously had a major influence. And I always say to people that uh, your role models, the children's role models are, are their parents or their carers who's, who would bring them, bring them up uh, because, you know, your children are what, what you are. And without question, I, I always say that to people. Um, I, suppose, I suppose my wife in, in, you know, the last, you know, 30 odd years, um, she's had a, had a major influence in, in my life and uh, in terms of the direction we've gone and the way we've worked as a team, um, you know, raising two beautiful daughters and, and, and business-wise and all those sort of things, um, she's had, a, had a, a major influence. And, you know, your brothers and sisters and, you know, you think about little, little checks and, and that you have along the way and it's, it's your family that, that keep you in line. Uh, more than anyone else, really, uh, just to make sure you keep your feet on the ground or if you need a hand up off the ground, it's normally your, your family that's going to be the one that's going to, you know, be the one that's going to help you. Yes, I was struck when you were talking earlier on that Brahman used to go to the beach with you and, and show the ball. And I was thinking, well, she was your first teammate, you know, uh, getting to yeah. where you wanted to go. So, um, exactly. yeah, those close relatives are important. Family keep us real. I've always been struck by this, you telling the story about the Mandela Cup. It strikes me because you, I've heard you say it changed your life, actually. It was a life-changing experience in 1995, mm. even though I know the All Blacks did not win that. But you talk about what it felt like to be in the stadium that day and how sport you saw that mm. game uniting the country at a very, very difficult time. Yeah, very much so. And you know, he was the most brilliant man you could ever think of, really, in terms of, of what he went through and what, what he achieved. And... You know, the, what he what he did in 1995 in, in South Africa, um, you know, to, to yeah. wear that Springbok jersey um, to unite a nation, and really made a huge impact on that World Cup final. Just the, the power that he brought to the stadium. Um, I think the two best teams in the world playing the World Cup final, and and to have have if not the greatest man in the world, um, there, there to watch it uh, was, was game-changing in terms of, of South Africa. You know, then you look what happened, you know, 20-odd years later and last year in, in Japan with Sia Khaleesi um, leading the Springboks to, to another World Cup and I was with Francois Pina at the final. And he said to me, he said, this is bigger bigger than what happened in 1995. You watch when Sia takes the team back to South Africa 
And we spoke earlier about sport uniting people. Um, that was one of the, the greatest examples of sport uniting a nation and, and the joy that sport brought to those people and the hope that that has brought to so many people that, you know, things are achievable. No matter where you, where you come from, you can achieve greatness. And, you know, I, you know we, see it, we see it here in London. You see it in Ireland. If people are, are determined, committed, and take their opportunities, uh, it's exactly the same in business. You can achieve. And, you know, not everyone's going to be a winner. Not everyone's going to win a World Cup. Um, but there are so many opportunities that I, I feel that people, you know, don't make the most of. And, and the work we do at Laureus is we are giving children an opportunity. And it's up to them. You can't, you can't make them drink the water, um, but you can give them the opportunity and, and show them what is achievable. You yourself are very driven by purpose, I think, Sean. You always have to know what's the end game. Would that be true? <laughs> I, I don't know. I think I'm, I'm, I'm becoming a bit more uh, laid back on that side. But, yeah, I, if, I, if I'm going to do something, I want to do it well. And, yeah. you know, I'm still, still very competitive. Being in the All Blacks, that was a 24-7 job. That was just 100% of your life uh, was that. So you become a very selfish person. And, and now, um, you know, you can have periods in your life when, when it is 100% of the time, but, you know, it's not every day of the year. I was thinking about the haka actually there and the significance of the haka to the culture within New Zealand as well and how that's very much a physical mm. thing, being, being in the presence of that. And I know, Sean, you do the haka sometimes at the end of some of your talks, which clients absolutely love to see the they haka. They really do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But, you know, when you were talking about um, South Africa there, like literally goose pimples, that feeling, it was actually a privilege for you to to experience that. That's life-changing to experience that sort of emotion. Yeah, I think so. I think just to be part of that, and, you know, there was obviously a lot of people there that, that watched it. Um, but I think to be involved in that game, you know, don't get me wrong, I was bitterly disappointed we lost. Um, but I think we had a hand in, you know, the All Blacks had a, had a hand in helping change people's thinking along the way. Well, I think the All Blacks, to be honest, influence people all the time in, in how they perform and how great they are at what they do. And I'm sure they've had challenges along the way too, but, you know, you talked about resilience and grit, and I'm going to, I'm going to finish on this question now, but you talked about resilience and grit there, and it's just something I'm curious, because obviously we've all of our resilience has been tested at the moment, mm -hmm. but do you think resilience is like a habit that you can get better at? What sort of resi resilience are you talking about in terms of that dogged... Um, Never, never give up. Well, I think resilience is the ability to be able to overcome uh, something quickly and move on. Yes, I suppose I've, I've got a very positive attitude. Um, I'm a process-driven person. You know, we've, you know, I've had some things to deal with over the years that I'm just, you know, I don't show a lot of emotion, but I, I'm a process driven that we're going to get through this and we're going to see, we're going to look at the good side of it, you know, and, and it's the same with, with COVID-19, you know, it's, it's been tragic what, what's happened, the loss of life has been horrific, 
the, the loss of businesses has been, has been terrible. Um, but there will be positives that come out of it, and that's why I'm really optimistic about rugby in terms of, of that. Um, so, yeah, I suppose um, I'm a positive sort of person. I just, I, I just can't stand, I can't stand when people are negative. <laughs> really, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, come on, let's, let's be positive about this. It's a, it's a terrible I, situation, yeah. but we're going to get through it. You know? mm. Well, a positive outlook is always good. People obviously know you, Sean, for being on TV as a commentator a lot of the time. You're, you're rugby, and obviously also on stage. Uh, if you were to influence people at all in any way, you to leave them with what influence would you do one thing, what would you like that to be? Get out of bed and say, I'm going to be better than I was yesterday. Beautiful. Love it. Thank you so much, Sean. As ever, it's always lovely talking to you. You're so generous with yourself and how you share your insights and self. It's been an absolute pleasure. So thank you very much. Thank you, Francis.